but again, uh, it's kind of hard to keep track of them, and therefore they're easily lost in the shuffle. That might be an advantage, right, if you're in the intelligence mm -hmm. game. Absolutely, it sounds fascinating. Iraq was confirmed to be the next head of the Royal Marine, uh, and he made most of his fortune uh, working in Iraq in the security business, doing what they call the guns, gates, and Gurkhas business in Iraq. So this is John Brennan's boss before he started working for Barack Obama. It, it sounds very sort of like juicy 007. It's a little bit cloak and dagger, but at the same time, there's nothing to suggest that anything inappropriate was going on here, right? In That's terms right. Of we should, John we should Brennan's life that. in the private sector. That's right. I didn't talk to anybody who suggested that John Brennan ever did anything inappropriate uh, while he was in the private sector. Uh, what I did talk to were so, several people who questioned sort of why we need this private intelligence structure in any case. Why do we have global private security firms that are operating in Beijing and Washington and Baghdad at the same time? And, and this is an entirely taxpayer-fueled ent entity. So you know the, the, government the, you know the answer about. to that. The way when the U.S. Army could say, we don't have operatives in South America during the drug wars. They didn't, but they were paying mercenaries to be down there. Yeah, look, a lot of this is done in a very hidden way. It's a very murky world. We had to sift through a lot of corporate records to find this corporate structure to figure out that Global Strategies Group, for example, is uh, registered in Luxembourg, not in England. Uh, it, there are subsidiaries of subsidiaries. Some of these companies are spun out, go public, go private again. Uh, it's kind of hard to keep track of them, and therefore, they're easily lost in the shuffle. That might be an advantage, right, if you're in the intelligence mm -hmm. game. Absolutely. It sounds fascinating. And for our viewers who, are, who have the interest peaked, you can read Eamon's full report on CNBC.com. Good evening, I'm Chris Matthews in Washington. Let me start tonight with this. America is a land of liberty. People born here get the greatest, most well-guarded rights in the world, and there's nothing I'm prouder of. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is what America is all about. And so we have debates, debates about the most central questions, these questions, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And those words are the ones that Jefferson gave us. Well, tonight we go after those questions, starting with the question, as out there as it may be, does the United States government have the right to target an American here in America with a drone strike? We have a great person to address that question, Senator Dianne Feinstein, chair of the United States Senate, Committee on Intelligence. Anyway, late this afternoon, before we get started, John Brennan was confirmed to be the next head of the CIA. The final vote was pretty strong, 63 to 34. Brennan's nomination reignited debate, of course, about the use of drones against American citizens overseas. And then Senator Rand Paul added a wrinkle. He wanted to know, can the government kill Americans here on U.S. soil? Well, last night he staged an epic, nearly 13-hour filibuster on the Senate floor to raise alarms about the possibility. Earlier this week, Attorney General Eric Holder wrote that Paul's scenario was entirely hypothetical, would only be possible under, quote, extraordinary circumstances. Well, such as after Pearl Harbor or in 9-11 attacks that did not satisfy Senator Paul. Let's take a look. A very specific question we're asking is, does the president believe he has the authority to kill Americans who are not engaged in combat in America with targeted drone strikes? And I think the answer is no, but they haven't given us that answer. Well, today, White House spokesman Jay Carney said the attorney general sent Paul's letter, a new letter, sent President Paul's office, a new letter answering that question. Let's listen to the comment. This is uh, from the letter, quote, does the president have the authority to use a weaponized drone to kill an American not engaged in combat on American soil? The answer is no. The answer to that question is no. Uh, and that is, signed, that is a letter that is signed by the attorney general and was uh, submitted to uh, Senator Paul in his office. Not engaged in combat. Well, you must define what not engaged in combat on U.S. soil means. What does it mean to not be engaged in combat? That's a question people should think about. See, when the drone strikes happened, and I thought it would be a fantastic way to shed some light, I uh, made sure to provide with all the markings, all the information that needed 
to be had so that way we can bring it to light. But unfortunately, it turned out to be a potato. Got me pretty much deleted. But here, I will show you uh, how it went. And then I want you to take a look at the people listening. I want you to take a look at the people that were being asked. And I want you to take a look at how things um, didn't pan out. It's important to remember drone strikes. How are they going to kill Assange? Drone strike. How were they going to take out an American citizen on American soil that may or may not be engaged in combat? Those are the questions you should ask yourself. Hold on. Are you saying that it is okay? to strike a U.S. citizen with a drone if they are engaged in combat. It's important to listen carefully to the words. And it is important to pay attention to the players within this conversation. Again, this got me fired. And it's a very important statement. Thank you, Mr. Chair, and welcome, Mr. Brennan, to the committee. We thank all of you for being here. I join Mr. Lobiando. Yeah. It is really an honor to be able to I'm, meet I'm with the honored. intelligence community all over the world, and we thank them for their work. My questions are regarding Iran and obtaining the nuclear weapon. I'd like to ask some questions about that, but, but before first. I do that, I'd like to ask a question of Director Brennan. When the White House conducted their armed drone strikes in North Africa, particularly in eastern <laughs> Libya, prior to the attack on our mission in Benghazi on 9-1-1 last year, did the White House notify the State Department of the armed drone strikes before they were made? Uh, armed drone strikes in Libya? Um, I'm unknowing of, of such, and I would defer to the White House to uh, address your question. Were there any armed drones? All right. Th this is some of the, it's understated, but it's some of the best video I've ever seen. The The moment when the camera turns to him is just amazing. I want to go, I just want to repeat that part. Watch his in shock. He's in shock that he's being asked this question. Take a look again. No. That's because they already knew someone had leaked something. And they already knew that they already had the information. That face is that bitch. And I'm telling you that's what happened. Notify the State Department of the armed drone strikes before they were made. <laughs> uh, armed drone strikes in <laughs> Libya? So there it is. What a fantastic use of time. If, you, if you're not watching, if you're just listening to this, 
You've got to find the video of this. And by the way, what's this voice that she's using? She's adopted. A, it's almost like she's playing a character. I guess it's her. I'm not crazy voice. I'm really not crazy. Uh, it's really great to be here. She knew that what she was saying could possibly get her killed. And she knew that sending questions would possibly get her. Well, she was removed, right? She knew. She totally knew because she knew that she received valid information. His testimony was exactly that. His response to her question was exactly that. All of them knew. Those other senators and other congressmen, they all knew. And yet he remained CIA director. And if you remember, I work for Global Strategies Group in Luxembourg. I represented the US. You think you have defined the word combat yet? They always use drones. I mean, isn't it drones that were Iranian made that supposedly were Iranian made Russian drones? Why is Iran entering the picture? It's almost like 1978, thanks to Strzok's daddy, is giving him some whiplash right now. Let me just give you the deets. This is current events. Injured as a result of overnight attacks on the capital city by Russian drones. The drone attacks have damaged buildings, creating fires and falling debris in several districts. It's the third night in a row that Ukrainian air defense units have fought off Russian drones in and around Ukraine. In the meantime, President Zelensky is saying the NATO summit had put Ukraine firmly on the road to membership of the alliance. In his nightly video address, he said G7 leaders have provided Ukraine with long-term security guarantees, which it had never had before. Sounding a more positive note than in earlier statements, he said the summit in Lithuania had removed any doubts about whether Ukraine would join NATO. Here's our security correspondent Gordon Carrera with more on the outcome and reaction in Ukraine to the NATO summit. The reaction here in Ukraine to the end of that NATO summit in Vilnius is one of muted satisfaction rather than celebration. There is a sense that they achieved some of what they wanted but certainly not all of it. There were promises of more weapon supplies, some of those are important, like the French longer-range missiles, also fighter jet training, and longer-term security guarantees, including from the G7. Those are all considered important, both in the short term and the long term. But on that crucial issue of NATO membership, Ukraine certainly didn't get all that it wanted. President Zelensky, when he was heading to the summit, said it would be absurd not to be given a timetable, a clear timetable for when and how Ukraine would join. It didn't get that. What it got was a commitment that it would one day be a member if all other members agreed and if certain conditions were met. It's being 
phrased on the NATO side as if this is a step forward because one step the membership action plan has now been removed from the requirements but there's still no doubt there is a pretty significant step significant hurdle really still to be got over by Ukraine before it can become a member and of course that membership is viewed as very important here in this country because membership would give it a greater degree of protection and the concern is really all along that the weapon supply is important it's vital in the counter-offensive that's going on at the moment but in the long term after this conflict is over deterring Russia in the future would require something like NATO membership with its defensive alliance and the notion that an attack on one is an attack on all that's what Ukraine really wants it didn't get it at this summit there's some hope from officials I've spoken to that they might get it at the Washington summit next year so satisfaction but certainly not really celebration here in Ukraine. Gordon Carrera there. Well, we also got analysis from Dr. Mitchell Wallerstein, a foreign policy expert with the Chicago Council on Global Affairs. He told me how he thought the summit went for Ukraine. President Zelensky has a lot to feel good about regarding the outcome of this summit. Uh, as your reporter indicated, they got extended security guarantees they got a commitment from the G7 for significant increases in the amount of uh, munitions and other resources that they're going to make available. And they got a long-term uh, security uh, commitment. Now, they did not get an invitation to membership, but uh, realistically, uh, because of Article 5, that was never in the cards. Because if they had been admitted or put on the track to admission, it would have made uh, created an obligation for the uh, NATO members to come to Ukraine's defense, which would have meant a direct engagement with the Russian Federation. As this NATO meeting came to a close, U.S. President Biden was uh, at pains to point out the unity uh, within the alliance and how crucial this meeting was and the strong message it sends to Russia. Uh, would you agree? Because before this uh, meeting started, there were lots of concerns about disagreements over the communique, what would be said at the end with regards to Ukraine in particular. Yes, I think this is a... Uh, uh, actually sort of the uh, culmination of uh, Vladimir Putin's worst nightmare because everything he was trying to accomplish, beginning with the uh, attempt to, uh, to take Kiev in a few short days, which was an utter failure, uh, the rest of it had to do with trying to fracture the alliance uh, and uh, weaken NATO. And of course, we know that the other outcome of this summit was uh, Turkey's capitulation uh, allowing Sweden now to join NATO as well. So uh, Putin is faced with a uh, broader coalition, a uh, stronger coalition, and a more determined coalition. So uh, Iran now makes drones for the Russians. I see. I see, I see, I see. I think it's important for us to do a little bit of story time, to understand a little bit of history. How's that? I think it's almost imperative that we learn a little bit of history, just a little bit, not too much, just a little bit. So once upon a time, there was an idea 
an idea to create a nation that was born from the ashes of destruction in Europe and Asia and the African continent. It was supposed to be a beacon of freedom. It was supposed to allow people to self-govern. It was supposed to allow people to believe in anything they want to believe and work and live harmoniously. And this independence was declared almost 250 years ago. And it was rejoiced and it was embraced. But hear me out. And this is a bit of a victory speech that's early. We're gonna gather and we're gonna celebrate a triumph that has been born from these ashes of manipulation and deception. Our nation was a beacon of freedom and self-governance and was once, and this is in the past, threatened by the cunning hand of these old bloodlines, this cult seeking to dim humanity's light. But we stood firm, unyielding in our determination to reclaim our destiny. And for decades and centuries, they played their wicked game, smiling to our faces while weaving a web of control behind closed doors. But the truth is like a mighty river, and it cannot be damned forever. As the decades passed, their insidious influence seeped into every crevice of our beloved United States of America government. They sowed the seeds of division and despair, exploiting the vulnerable under the guise of helping the elderly by introducing first ID numbers that shackled families apart. And their insidious ploy was to foster disunity among us. They whispered lies of discontent and introduced temptations to weaken the fabric of our society. Divorce, drugs, and deviant behavior were the weapons they wielded trying to erase the sacred values that held us together. But it was in the late 2000s, well, 2010s, that the people refused to succumb. Now, we may have faced an orchestrated fall, but we didn't falter. Instead, we stood tall with the hearts of steel, unwavering in our commitment to truth, justice, and freedom. And the people of the United States began to see through the smoke and mirrors because it became so stupid. And they united under the banner of Trump, a champion of truth. Picture this, a battle like no other, fought not with swords and shields, but with unyielding force of truth and the divine presence of God. Trump stood strong at the front lines, bore the weight of our collective will, exposing the treacherous old bloodline cults for what they truly are. His words cut through the lies like a sword, piercing the heart of darkness that had gripped our nation. And in this battle of ideas, the power of truth shattered the illusion they had woven around us. With every revelation, the chains of manipulation fell away and the people of the United States rose like a phoenix, reclaiming their independence and restoring the essence of our great nation. And 
as the United States emerged from this trial by fire, we faced yet another challenge, the clutches of a monetary system built on deception. The old bloodlines had created funny money, a web that ensnared nations in their control. But fear not, for even in the darkest hour, hope uh, shone bright. From afar, alleged enemy nations emerged. Warriors of justice who established a gold-backed exchange market. This powerful move struck at the heart of the false empire, decimating their ill-gotten wealth and breaking the chains that bound us. To my fellow Americans, we have proven that the spirit of our nation cannot be subdued. We stood together, united by the power of truth and resilience of our hearts and the guiding hand of God. And today we stand tall, proud of our achievements, and we declare with stoic resolve and we will never surrender our freedoms again. Let us celebrate this victory with a patriotic flame burning within us. Let it be a flame that will guide us in the years to come, reminding us that we are the masters of our destiny, that it only takes two generations to destroy everything you have built. We are the architects of a bright future. And as we move forward, may we remember the lessons of our past and embrace the strength that comes from unity. Let us build a nation where truth, justice, and freedom reign supreme, where the whispers of division will never find foothold again. And my friends, this shall be the speech that you will hear in just a few years. And it will be so incredible because it will be looking back on all of this as the past, not the future. America 250 will show you everything you've endured. America 250 will show you just how important small actions matter. Think about it. Their true intention was to tear apart sacred family bonds and weaken our unity. That is all. So just remember that. She declared that anyway. And it's important that you remember it. As to what is happening is one of the biggest boomerangs. And I think it is important for us to see a speech that was done by none other than Tucker Carlson. I want, I know a lot of people don't watch things from start to finish, but I believe it's imperative too. As this was a pretty good one. Tucker. We chose you. This, yes! Thank you. The smoke machines are so affirming. Wow, this is... Thank you for having me. It's funny, I, I was just standing... First of all, may I say... Go Megan Kelly! I mean, that, was, that was awesome. Thank you. It's pretty, I don't. Thank you. I, I don't. I don't think most unemployed people get a reception like that. And in a 
in a recession like this, to find yourself without a job and people still being nice to you is like unbelievable. I was, I was standing on those stairs. No, I have a job. I'm just kidding. Uh, well, I love you too. Thank you. I was standing on those stairs and I saw the intro and I was like, that's the most TV I've watched in three months. And I have to say, it feels absolutely great. Thank you very much for having me. I don't, I don't. Roger Stone, ladies and gentlemen, all the cool people are here. It's like unbelievable. Um, wow. Yeah, I haven't been around a ton of people in a while, but I never miss this event ever. And I meet the nicest people, really, that I ever meet uh, at these. So thank you for having me. I just flew in from Iowa. Thank you. Which is a wonderful state, and it follows. If you ever, if you ever travel domestically, remember the worse the weather, the nicer the people, and the more fattening the food. And so that state, worst weather in the world, nicest people. And I met uh, basically your Republican field. Uh, they're minus one. Yeah, exactly. So I met. I, I got a chance to interview the Republican presidential field again, minus the front runner. Um, and it was completely fascinating. And as it always is to be around politicians, politicians are a group that I despise on principle because they tend to be soulless um, and have kind of barren and sad personal lives. And so they, you know, spend their days trying to win affirmation from people they've never met. It's pathetic. Uh, but in real life, no, it's true. They all have alcoholic or abusive fathers to whom they're trying to prove something. Um, but in practice, in person, I mean, they're all super charming. I mean, there's not a politician in the world who's not charming. That's why they went into this business. It was either that or selling cars, and this was more lucrative, so they went into it. So I like almost all of them when I meet them. I mean, you, you can't not. They can talk about anything. They've mastered the sort of shallow small talk over coffee, which I definitely appreciate. That's an acquired skill, um, and they've worked hard at it. But I have to say, after spending all day with them, I learned a couple of things which I think may be relevant to you and to the country. And a couple of things, and I don't want to attack anyone in pers on personal grounds uh, or by name. It's tempting. I will say it's tempting. Whoever said do it, you're the devil on my shoulder. <laughs> do it! <laughs> I've, I've, spent my, I've spent my whole life. <laughs> no, 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 no. But if I could make some general observations, which I think are more edifying than just like savaging Mike Pence, um, I, I think, <laughs> which I'm not going to do, because that would be wrong, and it would be wrong because it's too easy. And the easy things are not rewarding, are they? You don't feel good when you beat your five-year-old in soccer or ping pong, like what? But I did learn a couple of things. It was super, super interesting. The first thing, I guess I already knew it, and you know it already, that's why you're here, which is the spread between the things that Republicans in Washington, the people you vote for and put there, care about, like actually care about, you know, pretend to care about a lot of things, but the things that really touch them off, that matter to them, very different from the things that matter to the people who vote for them. And you kind of thought that would change you know, because we did have an, a, an event several years ago where Republicans elected a guy basically on the promise to blow up the Republican Party, and you thought, you know, that would get their attention. If your wife runs off with the pool boy, it's like time to reassess your skills as a husband. Like, you got to pause just for a moment 
and be like, yeah, it's bad, but maybe I contributed to her behavior. Most self-aware people, and I'm being serious, ask themselves that question. Like, how was I responsible for this bad thing that happened? But there's been literally none of that. It's been all blaming the pool boy in Washington. So I don't see that changing at all. Um, maybe it'll take a next election cycle to do that. But the second more interesting thing I learned is that almost everybody, not everybody, but almost everybody in elected office in the Republican Party has internalized the other side's rules for debate. And if you think about that, there's no really more self-defeating way to go into politics or life than to accept the terms that your enemies offer before the conversation's even begun. Because there's really no winning. In other words, if you and I are arguing about something, but I've already decided you're right, <laughs> probably not gonna get very far, right? And you see this on the big issues. In fact, the biggest issues without variation. It's always the same. The Republican goes in knowing in his heart he's wrong. And I feel like there are probably a substantial percentage of Republican voters who do the same without knowing it because they don't have any idea it's happening. So, for example, during COVID, there were people who didn't kind of play along. We knew what the rules were. And every organization in American life, every large group of people in American life, from well, really from your government to the entire media, in some cases your church, we're all telling the same thing. Here are the rules. If you are a good person, you will follow these rules. You will mask, you will separate, you will stay at home, you'll take our shot. No, we have no idea what's in it. We don't know its long-term effects, but shut up. This is a moral test, and if you want to pass, you will obey. And there will be people who decide to opt out, but they are, and everyone agreed on this, moral criminals. They're outlaws. And it's... <laughs> well, I mean, given there's a certain sort of outlaw who's proud of it, they're sitting over there, they're standing right here. I mean, there are always some people. <laughs> there are always some people. There are always some people. I want to remind you something. In 2021, I wrote an article. While many thought that I was bashing Tucker, I'd like to read a portion of that. Tucker Carlson. I adore your commentary, but I loathe anyone playing cover for them. I could have started with the fake posers of Fox, blah, blah, decoding gang, wannabe journalists, but I chose you. You are causing more damage than all of them put together. This is not a target on you, Tucker, but to shine light and help you own it. Truth is like free speech. It's messy, but honest. I wanted to share that with you because I think it's important that people understand that sometimes things happen in a way they happen. And it took a bit of time, but it's fact. It happened. He is destroying everything they have built. He has been in the trenches. And I think owning it and being liberated and serving and owning, owning it, remember, is important. 
Redemption is beautiful. Now, while Bannon says, hey, you've got time to say something, he's right, and he's not talking about the leadership. He's talking about the little guys. For those of you watching and listening that are the rank and file, that have been assigned to assess OSINT for whatever they're planning, when 2025 rolls around, you're all fired down to the janitor. And the reason this will happen is because you never had the courage to stand by your oath. There are no off-ramps for those in leadership. It's game over. But there are those that are rank and file right now for the analysts that are paying attention. You must understand. Claiming ignorance won't work. You saw it happen. And so I just wanted to clarify that everything that you are allowing to perpetuate will be like whiplash, like Iran. See, look how awesome Tucker's doing. He is living in truth now and what feels right for him. So for those in rank and file, tasked to the medial task of listening and compiling reports, I hope you hear this and hear it well. It won't be pretty because it's kind of like getting a big chicken dinner. You won't be able to get hired anywhere. And for those of you that subscribe to pronouns, well, that's going to be even more fun. So I'd like to, at this point, shift gears so we can start talking about what needs to be talked about in regards to the Iran issue. I mean, BRICS is here. Iran is here. They've got their own Iran international show that's going on on YouTube. By the way, YouTube bans us, but not the Iranians that are supposedly such a big threat. But it's extremely interesting that a lot of people are not talking about this in the way they should. Many people are seeking redemption. But you know what you also see? So as you're listening to the news on what's going on in the Middle East and how they're deploying, oh, CENTCOM, dot, 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 you have to think back to when a boat was hijacked. Not with um, prisoners, but completely hijacked. Remember the Iranians that apparently put a bomb by the ship and dot, the dot, the dot. Do you remember that? You should revisit that show. Because that'll tell you everything you see now. So let's take a look at a new song by Jason Aldean for this intermission so we can shift some gears. It's about to get rowdy. And boy, September, I'm feeling like I love it. It um, looks like some people did something. See you in just a minute. Sucker punch somebody on the sidewalk. 
Carjacking old lady at a red light Pull a gun on the owner of a liquor store You think it's cool, act a fool if you like Cuss out a cop, spit in his face Stomp on the flag and light it up Yeah, you think it's tough Well try that in a small town See how far you make it down the road met someone who I am I'm dying to have more time with but this person's job for many years was to infiltrate what you call the global elites what I would say to you I have uh, I no longer use that term for the most part because this person taught me that they're not elite they're a cult mm, that's what yeah, they yeah. are that's they're, a good term. they're a global cult Mm. And why does that matter so much? Because it's accurate. It's about who they really are and what they really want, where they're taking us. They're not taking us to a world, you know, um, of elites, right? They're taking us into the dark heart of a cult where what do you have? You have people whose one single most important defining objective is to eliminate and eradicate God. Mm. And this is, and I'm telling you, this is what this person who spent years, he had to read. Apparently they have all this, they have all this works and teachings and literature and, and so on and so on. I mean, he spent two and a half years just studying everything from the rituals to the traditions to the ideology and so on and so on and so on in order to be able to successfully infiltrate them at the UN level, right? I can't tell you which faction he was part of. I don't want to give too much away. But because um, one of the things I asked him is I said, I don't, I get it, but I don't get it, the children. You just, mm -hmm. you got to, I still have, I have such a problem with this you got to explain this one to me. And he said, um, well, first of all, you're looking at it the wrong way. I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, they don't define children the way you do. They don't define the world the way you do. The choices that you face are not their choices, right? They, have a, they look at it completely differently. And, uh, and I said, well, okay, so how do they look at it? And he said, for them, everything is defined by their one fundamental all-consuming purpose I said which is what he said to defeat God right because this is the moment I mean for them it's about uh, the real God the true gods are them and Satan yeah. there mm. right and so he said children, right. are, children are the closest thing on earth to God because mm. we are created in the image of God and as you know, from the moment we're created, we haven't had time to uh, to you know to be corrupted and to stray. Mm. So for them, the younger you are, the closer you are to God, the more pain they can inflict on God. So the more you can make 
a baby or a small child suffer, the greater your victory over God. And that is the only consideration for them. Outside of that doesn't exist. God, what a question. There are many people that will tell you who God is. They will say, this is God. You don't know. My pastor, my book. Again. <sighs> I've said this before. They don't see you as people. They see you as commodities. See you as commodities. Now, before we get into Iran, I believe that what I want to do is share something with you. I hope you have your little thinking hats on because it's going to get quite interesting. Now, in 2018, I kept saying, we need to gut it down to the janitor. Well, April 21st, as you all know, I was traveling. Here's a little bit of my travel pictures. Not all of them. And you know, the Heritage Foundation had like this big thing going on. That's where Tucker made his debut too. It was pretty awesome. It was a lot of fun. And, um, you know, a lot of people sit back and they're like, all right, how do we fix the problem? I have already started, start, started, huh? I have a very good plan in place. I'm still waiting, waiting on the OMB to get back with me with figures. But this plan is going to be incredible. That will be my contribution. The question is, what will yours be? See, throughout the years I have seen on Twitter, Facebook, and huh, apparently on Instagram, and more so on Telegram, moms with 10 kids, moms with two kids, moms with rainbow children, dads, single, married, thrice married, the car mechanic, the whore, the stripper, the banker, the lawyer, the doctor, and the nurse. All do things like no other. As we know, the reason that we are in this position is infiltration started in 1776 when the ink was still wet and with great patience. And in 1860, they started to show their teeth. And the assassination of Lincoln happened and everything started to go in an accelerated motion. They had decided to deploy technology a lot earlier. They decided that they will target God, but in a different way. See, throughout history, all empires have fallen for one key factor, rebellions. Because they believe that the king or the queen are not gods. They don't believe that a god would suppress them. They don't want to pray to an ox, an idol. They just believe that God is always present. Now, they tried it with the New Age to inspire people to believe they are God. And that is how you eradicate God, by eliminating him from any equation. 
Now, many people are very staunch to whatever faith they subscribe to. I subscribe to that there's God, period. And everyone should subscribe to the same thing. And I'll tell you why. You remove God in a higher accountability, and you have no boundaries. You see people as commodities, as nothing, as ants, as crustaceans, as roaches that are vile. God is a very important thing. Faith is very important. That is how you measure a person for me. This is my take. I measure a person based on their faith. I don't care what kind of faith they have. Because at the end, they find God. And their road may be different than yours. But they will find it. They will find exactly that. But how do we fix this? Well, please get your pens and papers out, boys and girls. Because if you want to fix it, you got to focus on America 250. Here is a website, project2025.org backslash personnel. Want to be considered for positions in a presidential administration? Submit your resume today, included in the personnel database. Please fill out the questionnaire below and upload your resume for inclusion to the 2025 Presidential Transition Product Talent Database if you would like to be considered for positions in a presidential administration. Project 2025 is the effort of a massive coalition of conservative organizations that have come together to ensure a successful administration begins in January 2025 with the right conservative policy recommendations and properly vetted and trained personnel to implement them, we will take back our government. Project 2025 is being organized by the Heritage Foundation. To learn more about positions in the executive branch, refer to the 2020 Plum Book. Now, let's go see what this application looks like. Presidential Personnel Database and Presidential Administration Academy Questionnaire. Your name, your identifying information, and how do you identify? Traditional conservative, moderate, liberal, fiscal, conservative, social, conservative, paleoconservative, libertarian, neoconservative, or progressive. Please briefly explain your philosophy. Name one person, past or present, who has most influence, the development, or your political philosophy. Name a book that has most significantly shaped your political philosophy. Please explain its influence on your thinking. Name one living public policy figure whom you greatly admire and why. Name the one public policy issue you are most passionate about. Why are you passionate about this issue and why would you like to see it addressed in the future? And how did you hear about Project 2025? If conference, media appearance or other, please specify. The UN should have authority over citizens. Here are statements. Very good ones, actually. The US should impose tariffs with the goal of bringing back manufacturing jobs, even if these tariffs re result in higher consumer prices. Now, you add your social media profiles and your resume, and it's done. 
Sorry, I wasn't showing it. I apologize. Gosh, the system today. So here's your application. Now, almost want to think, don't you know? But there you go, guys. And for those of you that may say, well, I don't have skills. What can I do? I can tell you that I've identified people within all groups that have skills like no other. But I'm just a stay-at-home mom. A stay-at-home mom that can pull open source intelligence out of your ass. That's a skill. But I'm, I'm a retired nana, but you can put dots together like nobody's business. Well, I work on a farm and I kind of stay at home with the kids. But your graphic skills are off the chain. Well, I uh, don't know what I can do. Well, you filed the lawsuit. So I guess you can work in an advocacy division. These are all things that are needed. Real people with real skills. Have you ever sneaked into one of those Zoom calls? Which, by the way, we should. Allow me to tell you what to do today if you're bored. Please join me and do not speak up. I would say if um, you are a Ukrainian newcomer within the United States, you may need a job. And I think that everyone should join this conversation and listen in to what's being said. What did, what, what, what? Hold on. Allow me to assist with that. Let me pull it up for you to make it a little bit more clearer and a little bit better. Give me a second. Let me pull it up because it's, it's quite fascinating. I think all of you will be like, wait a minute, what's going on here? Oh, what's going on here is infiltration and establishment. But hold on, why is this not working? There we go. Need to get that up. And then I need to open that. Where is it? See, when I do things on the fly. There we go. Alrighty then. Here we go. Let's uh, pull this up. I urge all of you at 6.30, if you wish to join this Zoom call and just listen, record, because I know there's a lot of out there, a lot of people out there that have incredible skills, fascinating skills. So if you want to see what's really happening with Ukraine, you can join this call. You can call one of these numbers. And put in a meeting ID and password. Basically, this is for any Ukrainian refugee that is within the United States. Either they came off a tanker, ushered in with private chartered planes, you know, whatever that may be. It's important that a lot of people just watch and learn and listen. So it's tonight, and I think it's important but at 6.30 p.m. tonight, people just log in and observe and listen to how they infiltrate your nation, no matter how they get in here. You know, we got to start looking at these contracts that are being issued. Jeez. 
Sometimes I want to shake the actual media that pretends to be on our side. Well, maybe they're not pretending. Maybe they're just stupid, right? Because there's no way that they don't see what all of us see. But it's whatever for now. Now let's get into the nitty gritty with it on. I almost feel like Kamini is trying to be the new Gaddafi. Well, Raisi, President Raisi is trying to be the new Gaddafi. Kind of feels like he's getting there. It's pretty interesting. Let's see what Al Jazeera has to say about Iran in Africa. And that'll make sense to you now. Ibrahim Raisi is on an African tour hoping to forge new alliances. As Iran's economy struggles under Western sanctions, what can Africa offer? And does Tehran have any influence on the continent? This is Inside Story. Hello and welcome to the program. I'm Mohammed Jamjoum. Some have called it a new beginning for relations between Iran and African nations. The Iranian president is visiting the continent to increase trade and economic ties with stops in Kenya, Uganda and Zimbabwe. It's a different approach for a country that for years has focused mostly within the Middle East and parts of Asia. But faced with U.S. sanctions, it appears Tehran is now increasingly looking elsewhere to diversify its economy. But are there other factors at play? We'll get to our guests in a moment. But first, this report from Katya Lopez Hodayan. A warm welcome for Iran's president in Kenya's capital. It's a rare tour for Ibrahim Raisi, marking the first visit to Africa by an Iranian president in more than a decade. U.S. sanctions have isolated Tehran for years, and trade deals in Africa could lead to new business opportunities and new alliances. None of us are satisfied with the current volume of trade and the ongoing economic exchange between Iran and Kenya. Iran exported more than a billion dollars worth of goods to nations in Africa last year, from petrochemical products to food and medicine. Now it's aiming for more. Iran stepped up its diplomatic approach after the U.S. reimposed sanctions in 2018, when former President Donald Trump ditched a nuclear pact. Now, Iran's foreign policy appears to be shifting again. After restoring diplomatic ties with Saudi Arabia in March, it seems to be expanding its economic and political reach beyond the region. Some analysts say less tension with neighbors is leading to more attention abroad. Raisi visited Venezuela, Cuba and Nicaragua last month to increase trade and economic ties in Latin America. Despite imperial aggressions and sanctions imposed by the U.S., Venezuela is still standing. It's extending its hand to Iran to build a new world. Iran has described Africa as a continent of opportunities. Tehran is now hoping Raisi's visit will help lead to new prospects, both political and economic. Katia Lopez Odoyan for Inside Story. All right, let's go ahead and bring in our guests in Nairobi. Ngala Chome, senior analyst at Sahan Research, a think tank focusing on security and development in the Horn of Africa. In Tehran, Ali Akbar Dareni, researcher at the Center for Strategic Studies. 
And in Miami, Eric Loeb, associate professor at Florida International University and a member of the Board of Trustees at the American Institute of Iranian Studies. A warm welcome to you all, and thanks so much for joining us today on Inside Story. Ali, let me start with you today. Tehran has called this three-country tour of Africa a new beginning in relations with the continent. What kind of new relationship, new beginning, is President Raisi expecting, and, and what is he hoping to achieve with this trip? Um, President Raisi's visit uh, to Africa is in line with his administration's efforts to create new alliances with the non-Western world uh, in the current era of transition in international relations from a unipolar world to a multipolar system. Uh, it is also in line uh, with his look to the East policy of expanding economic and political relations uh, with the non-Western world. Uh, Iran is um, uh, to- Wait a minute, is Iran part of BRICS? Is Iran looking to the East? Is Iran pointing things out? Is Iran working with Venezuela, even though they have in the past? Hopefully I shed some dead weight on the channel because now we're going to get into the really good stuff. Hopefully some of you that subscribe to Mr. Monkey Works can have him pay attention. I want to take you back to the days of me reporting on blimps and shift, and blimps and shift. Please watch this short segment so I can get you in the mood to understand what is really happening here. On a Bay Area landmark, the iconic Hangar 1 and Moffett Field will return to its former glory. But as KPX5's Len Ramirez reports, that won't happen until 2025. Well, if you've driven down Highway 101 in Mountain View, you've noticed that the historic Hangar 1 has been stripped down to bare metal. It's been that way for years, but what you may not have noticed is that work has just begun on a massive restoration project to bring this hangar back to what it once was when it was built in the 1930s. The clang of construction rings out from Hangar 1 at Moffett Field. Inside and outside the steel skeleton of the massive structure, work crews are raising towers of scaffolding for the up-close three-year restoration work. One of the largest scaffolding operations in the United States. Project manager Alex Soleil says the structure, large enough to hold the Salesforce tower sideways and tall enough for the Statue of Liberty to stand up inside, will be stripped down to bare metal before a complete rebuild. We've got a commitment to bring it to its former glory. It was built in 1932 to house the Navy's airship, the USS Macon, but it mostly sat unused after the airship era passed, and contamination over the decades made it a candidate for demolition. Some people who could see but had no vision really had an interest in closing this down. But Congresswoman Anna Eshoo and Zoe Lofgren led an effort to convince the Navy that the hangar was worth saving. And I call it Operation Tenacious. And uh, now today, uh, we're moving toward uh, mission accomplished. Paying for most of it is the Google subsidiary Planetary Ventures, which leases and manages Moffett Field under a 60-year agreement. NASA Ames will partner in with future projects when restoration is complete in 2025. And there's many shared technologies and shared interests in autonomy, in robotics, in data mining, data sciences, in flight drones, for example, and autonomous aviation. So these are all uses that could potentially take advantage of an incredible space like this hangar. 
The iconic structure, once a part of the Bay Area's past, will now help push it into the future. In Mountain View, Len Ramitas, KPIX5. Wow. So Google's now in the business of taking over an airfield. Hold on. Let's see. Which one's first? Let me just see. Give me a second. Let's go. That was from 10 years ago. Let's go to eight years ago. Okay. Here we go. This is how people don't pay attention. Hillary Clinton was right on that. Six billion dollar lease for Moffett Federal Airfield, where the behemoth eight acre Hangar One resides. Planetary Ventures says it will work to restore the historic structure and offload about six point three million dollars annually in maintenance and operation costs. NASA Administrator Charles Bolden explained the cost saving move. As NASA expands its presence in space, we are making strides to reduce our footprint here on Earth. Sure, sure, saving millions of dollars is great, but the real question is what the heck Google once with an airfield. According to the press release, Planetary Ventures will use the space for research, development, assembly, and testing in the areas of space exploration, aviation, rover, robotics, and other emerging technologies. Huh. Sounds a lot like NASA. And when news of the proposed deal began cropping up in February, Silicon Valley Business Journal quoted one community activist who said the deal amounted to some level of charity because recovering that hangar is probably a money-losing deal. But while it's safe to say there's definitely a bit of charity involved, the outlet noted location likely played a role in Google's bid to lease the airfield, as Hangar 1 is a mere three-mile drive from Google's headquarters. And Fortune reports Google had a deal in the works to build an office complex on 42 acres at Moffett Field. Now it's got access to a whole lot more. So a bit strategic and a bit charitable. Now that sounds like Google. You know, the company behind self-driving and hopefully safer cars, glucose monitoring contact lenses, and balloons that provide internet access in remote locations. NASA will maintain ownership of the facility, and as part of its planned improvements for the airfield, Google says it will create an educational facility for the public to, quote, explore the site's legacy and the role of technology in the history of Silicon Valley. For Newsy, I'm Micah Sargent. What could constitute? You should revisit some of those articles I did on blimps. Now, oh shoot, there we go. What did I just, gosh darn it, where is it? Okay. Okay. So, we went to eight years ago, right? And that was after a year ago. Now let's go to another report from a year ago. I'm going to take you there. Hold on. Where is it? There we go. This is actually from a year ago. And I'd like you to listen to this short report. Maybe it'll give you some insight. But 11, a Bay Area landmark provided is giving you a first look of inside of a massive restoration project. So you may notice the dome from 101 in Mountain View, but do you know the history? NBC Bay Area's Sarah Johnson stopped by the NASA facility to learn more about the historic role this hangar played and the way the work is going to restore it. Sierra, I don't know about you, but anytime anybody comes to visit, they say, what is that? Yeah. <laughs> 
Well, I was one of those people. I was saying, what is this? I knew it had to do with something space or military related as I was coming from San Francisco down to the station. It would always be on my left and I would always wonder. But now I know exactly what it is. And I'm also now aware that it is under construction. Their work to rebuild it to its glory days. It was built decades ago and now they are working to restore it. So today's tour featured supporters of the project of Hangar 1. Congressman Zoe Lofgren and Anna Ashu, both women say they know the history of this hangar and have worked tirelessly to save it. So the Icon, which was originally built in the 1950s, was used to store airships and was decommissioned in 1994. It was a few years later that the structure was determined to have harmful PCBs and the roof at that time was removed. So the goal now, removing the toxins from the steel structure, repainting and encasing it. For Congresswoman Ishu, this is years in the making and a moment she says worth celebrating. And I call it Operation Tenacious. And uh, now today uh, we're moving toward uh, mission accomplished. So it, uh, it's, a, it's a great win, uh, not only for the people of our region, uh, but for the people of our country. And just to give you an idea of what contractors and developers here are working with, the structure is huge, approximately 1,133 feet long, 308 feet wide, and 198 feet high. So they have a lot to deal with, a lot of speed, uh, um, steel, rather, much of which was from the original structure. They have a lot of remediation to do there. Uh, they say the project will be completed in 2025. That's after repainting and encasing it. So I'm sure at some point folks will be back here to re-debut uh, this hangar. So we're live, Sierra Johnson for NBC Bay Area News. Isn't it funny how they said that it's NASA's, but Google bought it? Isn't it interesting, you guys? It's NASA's, but Google bought it. Well, you know how you can tell what's going on? By looking at where these airplanes are coming from and who is coming in. I mean, they have all these federal contractors, right? Here is a list of today's en route to Moffett Airfield and where they're leaving and going to. There's a lot here going to Reno and Tahoe with the little net jets, right? Net jets. We've got Sunset Aviation going from, you know, private plane. Sunset Aviation, call sign 119. Very interesting stuff. But if you actually look at who goes in there to consider that this airfield is defunct and unable to operate and is being built, that was purchased by Google, leased by Google for 60 years and shall be completed in 2025, partnering with NASA, calling it a data quantum center for space and some other stuff. In the meantime, they tell everyone in California that you're going to go under with the San Andreas Fault earthquake, but they're investing kajillions, right? <laughs> because that's true, right? They're also making it very difficult for people to live in California, <laughs> but they're building big-ass structures that can fit towers laying down on their side. So Google, which is and was created by the CIA from InQtel, it was funded and owned, just so you know. Can't wait till that's federalized and actually with oversight. But a question here is, where are they going with all this? Are they transferring steel? You know, what are they doing 
in Idaho that are coming down there. There's a lot of Idaho and Reno, Nevada. And you should actually take a look and see what is being transported and what is being done. It's space, but it's not space. It's this, but it's not that. And then we have the Bermuda Dunes. I, you know, and no one came from the Bermuda Dunes. So someone's leaving there to go to the Bermuda Dunes and you're just like, stop. See, if you can see the Tahoe flights coming in, you would assume that they'd all be going out. Mm. Reno, you know, that reminds me. Wasn't it the chief of disguise that spoke about a place 90 miles somewhere around Reno huh, that had no connection whatsoever? You know, the former CIA chief of disguise. That's interesting, isn't it? So today, because I have things to do that are quite fascinating considering Moffitt Air Station, I have to end quickly today. Now, what you will be hearing about is bombs and threats and this and that. And just listen to your president. Don't even listen to me. I want you guys to be paying attention a little bit more, at least in your communities. Because those of you that are in California, how'd you miss this? How is this gone? Huh. And you have to take a look at the call signs in some of those articles where I wrote about the blimps and the caucus about the blimps and what the whole purpose was and the money going in. Because once we figure out who's really funding Hangar One, it'll all make sense. Now, don't forget that Shinazi Zoom call today. I hope all of you take your pens and papers, stay silent, maybe Google a couple of Ukrainian words so you sound legit if they call you. But I think it's important to find out what's going on. And don't forget, you can record conversations in another language and then play them and Google Translate will translate for them, they interpret them for you. Some of it can be done live on your screen. It's all free and available to you. On that note, God bless.